This is the Extravagant Promises Podcast, and I'm your host, Gregory. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. This is a podcast about reckoning, recovery, and redemption. We share experience, strength, and hope. Tonight is episode nine, which make men remember. Before we start the episode, I would like to once again reiterate three points. First of all, this is not an AA meeting. This is meant to be an act of service on my behalf to the recovery community and as part of my AA journey and in part of my recovery journey. Um, Second, I'm not a therapist. This is not a mental health uh, therapy session, and I do ask that, that if you are in need of mental or medical assistance, please turn to a therapist and please turn to a trained professional. And third and most importantly, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions and our program, and it is important that, at, that my anonymity be respected at all times and that I will also respect the anonymity of everybody who uh, contacts me. You can reach out to me at extravagantpromisespodcast at gmail.com or at extravagantpromisespodcast on Instagram. I will respond, and if you'd like to get to know me better or know more about me, I'll be glad to tell you. Again, uh, as soon as we develop that level of trust so that I know that my uh, identity uh, is safe. So, with that said, um, tonight I am excited to bring to my listeners a man who I have spoken of often in the, in the rooms, and I've spoken often in this podcast, a gentleman by the name of Eamon Madden. Um, Eamon has allowed me to use his name and I will provide his contact information for anybody who wants to have contact with, with him. Um, and he has, he has been completely comfortable with that. So um, I am using his full name in this podcast. But before I, before I introduce Eamon and, and we get to um, our Q&A and our, our discussion here tonight, I do want to give you a little bit of background about this extraordinary person in my life. Um, so Eamon is from the UK and has a great story to share and, and a great a great backstory and is um, world-class in a number of fields, um, most notably human performance and, and coaching, uh, but also in the mental development of one's competence and mastery, but also is um, in the physical realm of martial arts and mental realm, but, but is a martial artist uh, of the first order and, and somebody who came into my life through the world of martial arts. As I've mentioned before, in 2012, um, my very best friend in the world, uh, somebody who was a soulmate of mine, died suddenly and tragically um, at, I believe he was 45 years old, somewhere around there. I was about the same age. And um, it completely devastated me. And it was right around Memorial Day or the beginning of June of 2012. He actually died on May 31st. 
And it, I, I, you know, decided for the next year and a half to park myself in the bottom of a bottle of Jameson, essentially. And that led me to the rooms ultimately and, and into recovery. But right around the time of the death of his death, I mean, like the next day or two days later, my jujitsu instructor reached out to me and he's a man who will be on this podcast at some point too. And he's, he's a, a, a guy with uh, probably close to 30 years of sobriety. And, um, he said, listen, there's a guy out here at the gym, um, who's talking about some mental and emotional things and you need to come out and meet him. And he knew that I was suffering. I was going through some really hard times in my mind. And, and, um, and I said, okay. And I went out and, um, and I listened to Eamon speak and, um, I was so moved by what he said and, and, and what he was talking about that I went up to him afterwards and said, you know, could you help me out? I'm, I'm struggling. And he gave me some tips. And then I said, you know, would you mind coming and talking to my business? Um, and like I said, I, I, I don't share, you know, what I do exactly for a living. It's probably not too hard to figure out, but I asked Eamon to come speak to my team and he did. And he put on a seminar that was amazing and everybody loved him, and, and we became fast friends. So about, um, that was, like I said, in, in 2012. And, you know, some things started, continued to go wrong for me in my life. You know, I'd like to say that I turned it right around, you know, then, but I didn't. Um, and two years later, um, I, in fact, exactly two years later, almost to the day, uh, I was, I had invited my father to come to spend a weekend with me in London where I was hoping that I could come clean with him about my life and about some things that had happened to me and some things that I was going through and especially to kind of tell him my side of the story in my divorce with the hopes that, um, you know, that I could get some comfort from him and I could get some, I could just get some advice and maybe I could get some, some understanding, you know, and, and, and that, that he would know that maybe, maybe there was another side to the story and I wasn't just a complete low life as everybody was saying I was and, or that just, you know, I could, I could, I could find some peace. And, um, you know, unfortunately that, that didn't, it didn't work out that way. Um, and that's, you know, another tale for another time, but what did work out was, as I was landing in Heathrow, um, again, you know, these stories of the angels in my life, you know, this is one of those angels, um, I had a, a name came into my mind, and it was just Eamon, you know, Eamon, you, you know, and I, I was like, oh, wow, you know, God, that guy that I met two years ago, you know, he's, he he's lives in London, and I mean, I was sitting on the plane, like the wheels kind of hit, and I woke up, and I thought... I got to figure out where this guy is. And so I went into my, you know, email or something. I found his address and emailed him. And the next thing you knew, we were linked back up and, uh, and on the journey. And there's more to tell, you know, and I will tell a little bit more as the podcast goes on about when I came in the rooms. But um, so, uh, so anyway, welcome, Eamon. How are you? Thank you. I'm very good. Excited to be on the podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have you here. And, um, and, and this is a, a, a real honor for me to have you here. So, um, 
why don't you tell us just a little bit about kind of who you are and um, and then uh, a little bit about what you do. Um, just sure. Let's just have a discussion. Sure. Uh, I'm London, born and raised, and um, I won't go all the way back, but I'll start probably from the turning point of my life when, um, as a martial artist, I think I was kind of a brown belt at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I was doing quite well as a competitor, and I loved the sport, and then my father became terminally ill with cancer. And I guess this became kind of the turning point for me with regards to trying to figure out myself, my journey, get, get a handle of my emotions and, and kind of the situation I was going through, kind of being the eldest in my family. And this sent me down this kind of journey of self-discovery. When my father did pass on, I took it quite hard and I really found it difficult to get motivated about anything in life, mm-hmm. um, be it sport, be it, be it the direction I was going with my businesses, Whatever it was, I just found it very difficult and I, I decided to see a performance coach about this. And that started my journey, really did start my, my journey of not just how I can start to motivate myself again, but there is actually a way and a formula and systems that can can be used in any area of life. And I decided from that moment onwards that I wanted to, to, to enhance this skill to assist and work with other people. Fast forward a few years, I'd started consulting with athletes and then accidentally started working with kind of organizations and businesses through doing seminars and people in the room asking me to come in and talk to their, their firms. And that, that was kind of the beginning of the performance element of things. Performance to me has always been exciting because as, as a youngster growing up in school, I didn't believe I was an academic. Mm-hmm. And I didn't believe that was the route I was meant to take. I thought I would always be an athlete. And I, I never kind of tied the two together, um, intelligence and, and being a high performer in sport. And I quickly learned that as I got well-versed in martial arts, that I was an academic. I just didn't find the right kind of leaders or, or professors right. or teachers to inspire me the way that I needed to be inspired. And I realized that there had to be a craft or a way that you interacted with different individuals to bring the best out of them. One, one size does not fit all. You have right. to be able to, to connect with um, an individual or a team in a way that's relevant for them to pull the best out of it. I also learned very quickly that the way to enhance your skill of working with others, you had to be two things. Mm-hmm. Number one, you had to be an amazing listener to really pick up what was being said and what's not being said and also have the ability to ask the right questions at the right times. And I believe the greatest gift you can give someone is, is, is a great question. And so that's something I'm constantly working on. How can I ask the best question um, at the right time to, to, to get the best result from, from that situation? So um, that's, let's, let's turn back a second, though, because I, I, I really I love that, uh, you know, uh, hearing about how you got into this realm and your journey. But, you know, um, it sounds like you were at, I mean, is it, is it fair to say you were at rock bottom or you were close to it in terms of your, you know, not saying that that was the only rock bottom you ever got to, but, but you were in a pretty dark place or a pretty hopeless place or what, tell us about where your mental space was between your father passing away and meeting this mentor or this coach who, who started to work with you and show you a different path. You know, what, what, um, you know, would you say like your career now or your or your life's passion was born out of that kind of tragedy or suffering? Yeah, I would very much say that. And I would very much say that that was the darkest part of my life because 
my father for me was the only person that he was my best friend he 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 took me for who i was he was very understanding he was very empathetic he was a very loving character and you know his passing was the worst thing that ever happened to me and it was also the best thing that ever happened to me explain that because uh, you know i went so I went somewhere so dark, mm -hmm. I thought it would never get any better, but it also started my journey. Um, and and I, would, I, can, I can, you know, strongly say that it's the reason why I do what I do today, yeah. because, because of that incident. And it's the reason that I get to work with thousands of young people with my organization, Inspirational Youth, and I get to work with amazing athletes and, and just get to work with, with people in general yeah. um, through those skills that I've, I've developed because of that incident that happened. So, yeah, I really want to. I want to get really granular on that for a mm. second because it sounds like, you know, you have like two components, maybe more. But component number one is that you know it sounds like a lot of empathy. You know that you're you were in a place that felt hopeless and 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 without any necessarily meaning or you know you're really you're really down and. Um, and that, from that, you obviously came through a path to get out of that. But what I'm saying is, it sounds like, you know, that being at rock bottom, you know, itself was, was something that is now an attribute, you know, like a skill, uh, like an experience that you, you, you have both the empathy to say to somebody, you know, to look and be like, I, I can, I can see the you know, the, 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 the whisper of their soul, you know, that kind of feeling because, um, you've been there, you know, but, but at the same time, you know, you organically found your way out of that jungle, so to speak, or that, that, that rocky hard place of, of the soul, you know, you were able to hack your way out and it's like, that also gave you the, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. I, I feel like there, there's like, there's so many facets to this. Like, it's not just that you were like, hey, I, I met somebody and my life started to get better um, because I started, you know, CrossFit or <laughs> I got into jujitsu or, you know, and I figured out I could help people with this. It was like, you know, the first person you kind of had to help was yourself, you know? And, 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 and that to me is something that I think we both, that, that connects us to each other because, you know, I, I've spoken on this before and you and I have talked about it many times, but the, the role of suffering, of, of, of it bringing both the, the meaning to your life, but also of like a credibility, you know, it's like, you know, you, 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 does that make sense? Uh, no, it, it, it definitely does make sense. And there's a couple of things that came up for me as you were talking. Yeah. And the first one was, yeah, at some level, when you go through an experience like that, it's, it's easier to relate to someone who, who has trauma or, or there's been an incident that has put them in a place that they're in. And so you can kind of come from a place of that, of, of connection. And, and funny enough as well, I tend, when I'm working with someone who is going through something I've never gone through before, it tends to manifest in my life in some shape or form. Wow. And allows me to experience it yeah. to then be able to come from a place where I can assist, if that makes sense. Yeah. And funny enough, that's happened in a few incidences where someone's come with, to me with an issue, which I've <laughs> never experienced before. A month later, maybe that issue has come up in, in, in my workplace or in a relationship with someone else. And then it's allowed me to connect and, and give better advice or better support, so to speak. But Gosh. when you go down to that deep place, 
um, you have a couple of choices. You can either stay there and, and you know, close yourself off or you can be willing to make some moves to get out of that place. And I decided very quickly that it was not a place I wanted to remain in, mm -hmm. that I wanted to, to create traction and some kind of momentum. I didn't know where to go with that momentum, but I knew that by just standing still, I would make no progress. So How long were you in that place? I would say probably four or five months easily. Uh, yeah. I mean, I remember I was renting, renting a house at the time and I didn't even go and pick up the rent because I didn't even want to go and see yeah. any, anyone. And, you know, I wouldn't answer my phone and, and things like that were happening in me that I just decided I just didn't want to care about life as yeah. a whole. And because my father was a very loving individual, I always thought to myself, man, is that what happens to people that are loving? Is that the way that they die slowly yeah. to, you know, to a disease? And, and, and those that are kind of not living their life so well are still remaining and, and kind of doing whatever they want whenever they want. Did, you, did you have a, much of a spiritual program before your father passed away? Not really. I mean, my, my, you know, I was brought up a Catholic, but from 18 onwards, I wasn't, it wasn't pushed on me anymore. Mm -hmm. It was a choice that I was given. And so it, it, there wasn't really a belief that I ever had, uh, although I do have a belief now. I don't yeah. know what it is, but there is some uh, th there is some level of connection. Is it fair to say it's kind of like the God of your understanding? Can, can, I heard this uh, in the rooms the other day. Was it somebody said, not knowing what the God of your understanding is, is the God of your understanding. Exactly, you know, like yes. You know, you know there's, there is a higher power to you of some sort, but you don't necessarily at this moment have a name for it. And so that was one of the most erudite or one of the most beautiful things I heard somebody say was not knowing is the God of your understanding. I don't know, you know, and, and it can be, you know, and I'm not saying it can be like good orderly direction or something like I don't believe, but it can just be like, you know, I know there's something, um, but not knowing right now is the way I characterize it. Um, so let me ask you this. Um, you're back in that time. Um, you you you're exposed to some principles and some teaching and things that you've since adopted as your passion for um, helping people. And you said that like to, to help people, you have to you have to be a good listener and you have to know the right questions to ask at the right time. Mm -hmm. um, let me ask this question to you. Uh, for our podcast here. Who are you? Mm, I'm a loving, courageous, inspirational world leader. Okay. When did you find that identity? When did you, when did it resonate in your heart and in your mind? Um, I went through a process with a mentor of mine many years ago and the process was quite, quite intense and it was a one-on-one -on -one process where you got to kind of work through all of the things that are passionate to you and who you are as an individual and, and that kind of phrase came up for me. Mm -hmm. And it's something uh, I always turn to and it's something I always reflect to. The same like some people have the vision or the mission of their, their organization or their, or their business or, or their academy. It's the same where whenever I've got to make a decision in life or whenever I've got some hardships uh, ahead of me, I just, I just think of who I am, which is, which is, which is that. That, that, yeah. that is my label and that, that's what gets me through. It reminds me. Well, I'm, I'm just, just so, so that the listeners know, I, I am a decisive, compassionate, honest leader. And, um, and I've been that ever since you did the work with me. And I, I, I love, I hope that everyone who hears this podcast can one day be able to answer that question as convincingly as you do when someone says, who are you? 
And I love that you text me every once in a while and say, who are you? And you know, I know what you mean and I know what, what I'm going to say. And um, so, so we're back though into that, that, that path, you know, um, I get, I get what we're learning about how to be a good, uh, mentor or how to ask those questions, but, but there were, there were ingredients that you learned from those mentors, um, that helped you extricate yourself from the abyss, you know, the Nietzschean abyss, so to speak, and to keep you out of it. Um, can you share that with us? Like, what, what are some of those ingredients? Like, what, what, what goes into that? Well, know? the first thing for me that, that was the biggest lesson and the biggest learning and created the first bit of momentum out of that was understanding that my father's death was not personal. So I found it very difficult when it happened it, it, that to, to believe that it was it was not personal mm -hmm. to me as a human being as an individual right. that his time had just come, and I was the first person that he told, which I was very upset and angry about because he asked me not to tell anyone else. So I yeah. had to hold on to that for a couple of months. So I was very angry and frustrated about that. But when he passed, uh, you know, the last few months of his life, I believed at that moment that he could have hung on a little bit longer. I believed that he could have done chemotherapy a little bit longer, chemotherapy, but yeah. uh, you know that was just my perception and my belief. Probably selfish. Did you feel like you were cursed or anything like that, or that God uh, or your higher power was was making it personal about your loss? It, no, before I, you came to that realization. No, I wouldn't say that. I just I felt that uh, I found it very difficult to connect with where my father was at, and I only connected where I was at. Yeah, okay. within the journey of, of, of the disease and it's uh, you know even looking back at it now it's very selfish for me to feel like that because uh, for someone to be going through that and you're not connected to it or never had any experience with it it's very difficult and looking back at it now it was just my immaturity of how to handle my emotions around that it was it was very new to me and the first thing I did realize that when I did realize that you know his time had come he'd given it I mean, he was given eight months and he, and he lived for 18. Yeah. Uh, I mean, come on, he fought a year further yeah. than they said yeah. he would. So it's, and, and, he, and I, I remember the day when he said he was done with the chemotherapy, like he can't do it anymore. He's, he's ready to just move on. Um, I got a little bit angry there, but again, I should have just respected his wishes at the time that, you know, he's decided that he's fought hard enough. And yeah, and maybe, maybe, maybe your, maybe your anger, you know, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, this way, but maybe your anger at the time was what he needed. Mm. You know, I mean, you think about how how beautiful that that would be to have a son being like, "Don't let go," you know, "Hold fast," yeah, know, "Come on," you know, like I mean, I can imagine that like it, it feels now like you know selfish and and you're angry because you you love somebody, but but at the, by the converse of that, you're kind of like as a father myself, and you're a father, you know, you think like. It, it probably was a little bit nice, you know, a little bit to have, you know, your child be like, don't go gently into the night, you know, like, come on. And, but and, but then and, again, but then know. again, I looked at it and I looked at it from the point of view, you have a very good point. I also looked at it from the point of, do I not want him to go because I want him to stay for my needs? Yeah, yeah. Or because I want him to stay here longer for himself. And, and so there, there's this cost. Exactly. Yeah. So there was that kind of, I had to look at it honestly from that point of view as well. So, so... So not so so coming to an acceptance in your life that it wasn't personal to you and it wasn't you know you weren't wronged by this um, was was a, a big part of your grieving process and your healing process. So what were some other things that you 
went through um, as, as part of this. Because it, it sounds like you have a very unique story to tell in the sense of out of, you know, you're sort of Paul on the road to Damascus, so to speak, when the, you know, the light shines and, you know, the great painting where, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, to me, it's very interesting because, like you said, it, it, it wasn't born out of like, you know, hey, I was, I was, uh, everything was going great and I found my true love and my passion and all that. It was like, you know, you're having this suffering and this great emotional heartache and loss. And out of that loss, you both heal from it and come to accept it. But also, in that journey of healing and grief, you find really which is your calling. You know, I mean. So tell me, tell me, talk, share with me. Like how? That's a that's a pretty amazing transformation, or you know, uh, 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 process. You know, of of of, of evolution. Mm. And um, yeah, so. You know, understanding what wasn't personal was number one. Uh, number two, by far, was deciding that I was going to work on myself and do work and be consistent wow. with that work. Okay. And, and, and that was definitely uh, the, second, the second movement. That, that created traction because I just wanted to devour anything I could get my hands on, whether it was audiobooks, whether it was, it was normal, normal novels or books, um, whether it was sourcing out the best people in the world that I believed were doing personal development, um, that was the path that it, it led me down and, and that constant work. And even now, you know, when someone is having a problem, uh, you know, I'm always telling them, you've got to pick up a book. You, you need to read. You need to be educating yourself. You, just sitting on your own, it's, it's not going to, it's not going to solve right. it. There has to be some work That's that you're doing. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned that you're just getting, you know, you're always throwing something at me. It's like a curveball that I'm like, wow, that's because, because what you're saying essentially is like, you can't do alone. We do, uh, we do together that which we cannot do alone. Mm -hmm. And what you're saying is sometimes, the, the, the Library of Congress is your group, you know, and, and uh, your, 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 you know, your resources. And, and I had always said that, like, with a good book, you're never alone. Um, so um, let, me, let me again drill down on that. So I have phrased it sometimes in my recovery, which I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, you know. And um, it's, it's just, that's, that's me, you know, but that's very negative. You know, like it's very like, like I was sick and tired of being sick and tired and I wanted, I wanted to get better. And, and I've often said this, you know, and, and this might be, um, a good, a good moment to, to segue. Okay. We're back. Um, so the segue that I was going to say is, you know, and, and, I, and I, um, this is about you. It's not about me. Um, but of course I got to make some of it about me. Is it? is that what you were saying, you know, we're talking about we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. That's what I was saying. And you're talking about you made the decision. You know, I reached a point where, and I think you saw this, where it was like, I was just one gigantic country music song, you know, like, you know, pour me, pour me, pour me another drink, you know, and it's like, and, you know, I was just the tale of woe and, and I was fighting my way out of the different problems but it had gotten so bleak in my life um and you know i often say this is that I, i'm very hesitant to say these things because i don't want anybody to think that i'm anything other than just another aa but i do sometimes think that my process was a little different in that you know i didn't i wasn't 
it wasn't that alcohol was making my life unmanageable. It was that I had an unmanageable life and alcohol was preventing me from managing it. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And, um, and, 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 you know, I never, you know, I wasn't, I didn't get arrested. I wasn't living under a bridge or something, but I was contemplating killing myself, you know? And, and I got, I got to this point, you know, and I remember you came and visited me, um, you know, uh, on, uh, gosh, it was probably July 15th or 14th. Um, and you know, uh, so on the Sunday, July 19th, um, you said, um, we had gone, we, I don't, I'm sure you remember, we had breakfast with, with, with my brother and his daughter and, um, you knew, you knew him and, uh, and when we got back to my apartment, you know, you, um, you said, your brother's worried about you. And I said, well, how, how do you know? And you said, I don't. I just know. I can tell. And I said, well, what's he worried about? And you said, I don't know, but I'm worried about your drinking. And I said, will you go to a meeting with me? And you said, yes. And we went to it. Remember, I, I remember that day. It was like, I was freaking mortified because I'm like, I knew that, like, this is good. This isn't something you play around with. You know, this is, this is real. You know, you're about to make an ultimate, either you're going to fall on your face and you're going to know like, oh shit, you know, you have really, you know, you're, 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 you know, or you're, you're going to, you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. You're going to make that commitment to drive out of this, you know, and, and I'll tell you one of the things that I was really afraid of was that, 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 and this is the disease talking, but that alcohol wasn't going to be the problem that AA was not going to be a solution, that I was going to go in there and I was going to quit drinking and I was going to work the steps and I'd do all this shit and my life would freaking be a mess still and I'd be like, what is wrong? You know, I was definitely afraid of that. You know, I'm sure that's, that's a form of denial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a form, that's a disease talking going, that's not that. Yeah. You know, what it is is you, you need to wear like a size 11 <laughs> shoe instead of a 10 and a half or you need to like, you know, cut your hair differently or whatever it is. But for me, obviously, you went with me to that first meeting, and my life has been... I have a life second to none now, thank, and I do think of you. You are one of the core group of angels in my life, you know, and, um, and, and I will never... Your capital in my bank will never run dry, you know? Like, I will never, ever fail to have room in my heart for you um, or in my life for you because you saved my life, you know, that, that you... you had the courage and the love to say to me, I'm worried about your drinking and it fit together. Like maybe that's the piece here, you know, and we went and I worked this, you know, I did what you were talking about. You know, you, I just decided like, I'm going to throw myself into this. I'm going to be militant about it. I'm not going to slip. I'm not going to relapse. I'm not going to fuck around. I'm going to get a sponsor. I'm going to work the steps, you know, and it was hard, you know, it was definitely hard. And, um, uh, but you know, I was just like, you know, like Jocko says, discipline equals freedom. I was like, no fucking way am I going to, I'm going to, I'm going to show I can do this. And you know, and it did work, you know? Um, and, and so, so let's turn that back now just to, to like, um, that, that concept of like, you know, that you, you said like, number one is, is, is that it wasn't personal. Number two is you made the commitment. Like I'm going to throw myself into 
myself, getting better. Um, go. What 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 happened? You know, what are some other things like that that in that in those pieces in that journey? You know, so you've got this commitment. You started reading things. You know, did you learn about mindfulness or you know how how did that guy sitting there not returning checks, not answering the phone, you know? Thinking that your dad's cancer was because it was essentially like you know the higher power above coming down on your head. How did that go to you know a loving uh, uh, world leader? You know how how did that transformation? What are some of those other pieces in there? It was just that hunger for for learning and uh-huh. that hunger to experience everything that I possibly could that I believed could have an impact in my life and. If there were certain practices out there that I'd heard about, I'd, I'd definitely read into them. And if they interested me more, I would go and experience them. Uh, we're talking about even some, sh- you know, shamanistic acts that, mm-hmm. that I kind of looked at and explored from, from ayahuasca to silent meditation retreats. All of these things I experimented with and I toyed with to see if they would create any kind of positive momentum in my life. And if mm-hmm. they did, I would allow them to stay. And if not, I just moved on from them. And it was just staying consistent with those practices as well not just trying it once and then giving up on it right but just you really you really you really you really uh stress tested it of course stress tested it work and if it was working stuck with it and and kept that maintenance going you Mm -hmm. know and and just making sure that i was looking after myself uh, yeah yeah, internally so what what were some of the things that worked what 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 are some of the the you know uh components of that of that, that that you stress tested and that you stuck with and either and and, and have either I, I imagine you're still part of your life today you know but what what are they what are some of the one of the biggest things is meditation uh-huh. for sure okay. um so i experienced vipassana the 10-day meditation retreat where you meditate for 11 hours a day and you don't get to speak for 10 days that is probably one of the most impactful um, pieces of self-work that, that i've ever done how, how so? Because you're just sitting with yourself and your thoughts. Uh-huh. You're not allowed to have any communication with the outside world. You're not allowed to have a phone, any reading material. You're not allowed to do any exercise. All you do is you wake up and you meditate in two-hour blocks for 11 hours. Where yeah. were you when you did that? In, in London. Uh-huh. Out, well, in, in the UK, but it was close to Wales. So about three hours from London, the drive was. Um, it's, an, it's in a purpose-made mm-hmm. kind of facility. I'm actually doing it again next May. Really? Yeah, another 10 days. I've done a few since then, yeah, but excellent. I'm doing that. 10 another, days? Yeah, it's 10 days. It's, it's Did anybody break down? Like, I mean, I imagine, I've heard, I've heard good stuff. I've heard horror stories. Like, like, they're like, you know, this is not necessarily for the faint of heart or somebody who's not maybe got a little bit of self. I don't know. I've, I've just heard, you know, you, you, you hear that some people, that it really, it, it, it's, it's a, it's, very, very powerful. <laughs> yeah. It's very powerful. It's very intense. I mean, I set the intention that I was going to finish it before, yeah. I, before I got there. Yeah. So I knew I was going to, no matter how hard it got, I knew I was going to do the whole 10 days. And it, and it was a struggle because you go through an emotional roller coaster. Some hours you may be laughing. Some hours you may be crying. Some hours you may be angry and frustrated. You just, and you don't know why. It's just these constant waves of, of, of emotions. But you know that some deep clearing is going on in your subconscious and that stuff is getting detached and released. And I, you, Can you write? Anything? You're not allowed to write. You're not, 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 allowed, not allowed, allowed to have a pen. Not allowed to have a pen. <laughs> yeah. So you're not reading. You're not writing. You're not. That's right. You're not. You're just. So it's almost like I feel like it would be, um, like restless legs syndrome or something, where you're like, you know, like, um, 
I heard about uh, a condition that's called exquisite hypersensitivity that people sometimes develop where they can't even have a sheet on their skin mm. because it's just like you're on fire. And is it like that? Like where you just, you're, you feel like you're going to jump out of your skin? Well, your body does get gross sensations as well. Yeah. It's so, so a lot of the pain manifests as aches. Um, yeah. A lot of the, whatever's being dislodged from your, from your subconscious, it does manifest in pains. A lot of it came up in my back and my legs. Um, so yeah, it, it is kind of some strange sensations, but sometimes you're going to bed feeling absolutely happy. Or you could be going to bed going feeling absolutely frustrated and angry. Uh, but, but I think it was, that is definitely one of the best experiences I've done in my life. And I, and I feel that you get the most work done within those 10 days. Wow, that's great. So, so what else? What are some other? So, so we did that. Did you do that early in your process? I did that quite early. I mean, quite early I did a lot of things. Yeah. So, you know, because I was looking for the right thing and I was quite open yeah. to, 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 to experimenting. Uh, you know, I played around with ayahuasca for a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, the shamanic brew from the rainforest. So I, I sat in a few of those circles, which again, the work was, was quite in depth. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just over the course of a, of a night where you would sit in a circle um, and have a ceremony and, and go through the process and work through some of your stuff. I'd say though, it wasn't yeah. as in depth as the 10 day meditation. Yeah, I, I've heard that, that I've heard that, um, you know, there's some, some, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, like Brian Rose is a guy who's at London Real. I do, Real. London Real, yes. Yeah, um, and a guy named Rich Roll, who's mm -hmm. a plant-based guy. You know, both of them had stories of addiction and things in their lives. And Rich uh, is a guy who's got, um, a, you know, a lot of years of recovery. Um, Brian Rose is somebody who, you know, talks about heroin addiction and things like this, but then talks about ayahuasca, you know, recently. And... And it's it. I think it's it's one of those things that I kind of struggle with trying to square up in my mind. That um, you know, like I know Tim Ferriss talks about psilocybin and other drugs, and you know these are all things. I never did any ayahuasca in my past or anything like that, but you know I've experimented with lots of mind altering drugs over the in my youth and things like that. And and I you know I. I have I, 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 I like hearing that you can get that state of introspection and 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 healing without the necessarily the use of mm. a mind altering substance because I think that um, I think that's a dangerous game you know to get into because I think that like you know getting high is 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 just one side of a coin of like taking. Uh, um, you know this journey this sh shamanic journey like you're saying and, and I'm not I'm not condemning it and I know that there are people who get a lot of healing out of that and these but personally for me like I could never do that you know like I would never I would never you know I, I, I can't do it you know mm -hmm. like I would consider that a relapse you know and um, uh, and that's just something that, that's very interesting so I'm, I am I'm, I'm very intrigued by the notion that I, and I love hearing that, that that because I've heard it from others before that that really the meditation retreat was just as powerful, if not if and, not and, it's, and, and not and not clouded by other people or this or the egos of guru or you know or this notion of is it this drug? What am I seeing? You know, there's there's a truth there and a trust um, because it's just you, you know, and, and you're not. I mean. Like, do you eat when you're on those things? Is it as fasting or is it... No, like... I mean, to a certain extent, you have two meals a day. Uh -huh. So you have breakfast and lunch, yeah. which is prepared for you and it's all, it's all vegan. 
vegan uh-huh. food, and, and that's that's kind of what you eat. Gotcha. On on the meditation retreats. So what what are some of the other things that how did so then as you're meditating and becoming more mindful and you know what what are some things that um, you know did were you in you you were a brown belt at that point or were you already a black belt? I think I just turned to black belt then um, uh-huh. a couple of years after that. Okay. I think um, one another huge thing that I did was I was always careful of what I was putting in and what I mean by what I was putting in what I was listening to yeah what I was yeah. watching. Um, with regards tell, to tell us about that because I know you and I have a little great yeah story about so that. I'm not very keen on watching anything that portrays a lot of violence or portrays negative portrays characters anti-heroes so to speak you know yeah. alcoholic womanizing lead characters I won't watch anything along yeah. those lines because yeah. subconsciously you try to relate to that individual that's yeah. on screen especially yeah. if they're portrayed in a superhero kind of form so I won't watch any of that I'm very conscious of the music that I listen to. I mean, I work with young people and, and there's the argument that, that music does affect you or it doesn't. I, I believe it does, uh-huh. uh, for sure. Especially some of the, the young people I work with that are stabbing each other because of the lyrics that a certain track is saying. So I'm very, yeah. we're very aware of that. And yeah, I do, there are some tunes which I do like and I think the artist is very good. However, I have to be very aware that what they're talking about is not very positive. Yeah, and that the underlying message is quite dangerous. So I'm I'm very aware of, of what's going in. Wow, I mean that that's you know I, I think you know I hate to keep interrupting you because I want I want you to be the, the focus here. You know, but I'm trying to synthesize sort of what what I'm hearing. It you know what I've known about you is you always talk about being intentional, being mindful and intentional, and and that goes to like you're saying what you're putting in is not just food or supplements or booze or whatever it's also like if you're if you're feeding negative self-talk um, if you're listening to people in your life who talk to you that way um, you know you're giving them a seat at the board of directors you know and they're the ones the haters or something like this was well, it goes also for the recreational not just recreational drugs or alcohol but, but like recreational uh, entertainment and so that you're 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 watching a show on HBO or on Netflix it's extremely dark and violent or you know really evokes emotions or or things like that's essentially what i'm hearing and i believe this because i know i remember early in my recovery we talked about this that you know stop watching that show we won't mention what the show was but it was it was a show that it was so dark um and 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 a lot of alcohol consumption a lot of violence and uh and and the notion was that what what I took from you was that's equivalent to a slippery place. Mm. Like you're you're not going down to the neighborhood Applebee's to pick up takeout. You're going down to the dive bar. Uh, I mean, and the- you're hanging out and you know with the just you know you're listening to the music that makes people drink and drug and fight and or you know and, and the smells and. You know, like why are you're hanging out on Bourbon Street in well, New Orleans? The why? way I, the way yeah. I like the way I like to think of it is this. I mean, if I have five shots of tequila, yeah. watch a negative TV show, listen to some negative movie, eat five chocolate bars, and then walk out into the street and interact with people, what kind of interactions am I going to have? Right. Whereas if I meditate for an hour, drink plenty of water, stay hydrated, have a nutritious meal, yeah. and then go out into the street, think about the interactions that I'm going to be having. Both of them are going to be completely different because of, because of how I've set myself up for, 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 for the day. Exactly. It's kind of like when... Um you know, when, when you did your first seminar that I attended, you talked about um, setting your intentions when you roll. Um, 
and uh, I'm sure you remember this, it, that like I had a habit, I've never done it since, you know, but I used to ask people what they weigh before we rolled. And, you know, I know what you weigh. I know how big you are. But what I, I would ask them how old they are. Usually it was my thing was their age because I wanted them to be younger than me and bigger than me so that I already had an excuse to, to tap or to lose. You know, and it was like, and I think you were the one who told me, like, quit asking people how old they are. Quit asking people how much they weigh. It doesn't matter. If they're, too, if they're not a good fit training partner, don't select them to train. But what are your intentions? You're mm -hmm. already saying, like, I'm already giving myself a bunch of different excuses as to why I didn't perform as well. Oh, he's, you know, a freaking Navy SEAL or something. Or, oh, no, he's <laughs> like, you know, freaking 250 and benches 100, you know, whatever. And, and, and so that what you're kind of saying is the same thing, that, that you set your intentions with how you live your life in, in like, we, we who are, you know, those in the program are thinking like, you know, it's like, don't drink and set your intention about how working the steps. But it goes further than that. It's like, you put crap in your body that's food, that's junk food or stuff that's going to make you feel bad. Like it's affecting the way you interact with the world. And then you add to that, like sexually explicit lyrics in exactly. songs. Exactly. Um, misogynistic uh, you know, types of language, um, calling people names, you know, those kinds of things. You yeah, let yourself exactly. be that kind of person. It's, uh, it's, it's horrible. So, um, well, we'll um, so tell us about like the, um, like some of your daily practices or, you know, some of the other components that are, that are, you know, we, you know, that, that, that really, make you who you are and, and, and that, and that you have found to be like, like you're saying meditation, you know, are there any other things that, that, that those of us who are on that path of, of recovery and our journey of, of, of spiritual, um, connection and, and, and conscious contact with a, with, with not our fellow human beings, but our, a God of our understanding, like what are some of the things that you do to, to maintain your spiritual, sobriety so to speak and and I know you are a man who's sober for for a number of years you know what are what are what are some of your daily practices you know that you um beyond meditation that, that are important to you yeah that's right I am you know sober I have been for over two years because you actually inspired me watching <laughs> watching you. your journey yeah um I, I was never a heavy drinker but life is better while you're sober yeah there, there is no doubt about that and it was just before I opened my martial arts academy uh, two weeks before that I decided uh, if I'm going to be inspiring other individuals, men, women, children, uh, I can do it stronger from a position of, of, of being sober. So, uh, you know, I don't use any drugs whatsoever, any recreational drugs at all. And for, for me, it's, uh, you, you know, in the world of Formula One, they say that if you're not growing or if you're not developing, you're, you're going backwards. Mm -hmm. And that's how I like to think about every day of my life what what information can I absorb what information can I read that can allow me to grow as an individual and if I'm constantly doing that then I know that I'm constantly developing I know that I can constantly be an inspiration to others I know that I can constantly you know you know consistently work with and inspire the young people or my teams that that work with young people so for me it, it is you know I'm not going to say I meditate every day, but I do as much as possible. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely reading and educating myself daily. I'm reading some sort of article which is related to growth, whether it be within the youth work or whether it be in, in high performance. 
and just constantly making sure that I'm training and keeping myself healthy. Yeah. I think healthy mind, healthy body is they're definitely connected. So making sure that I'm still active with my training and and, and developing myself as an individual in every area that I can. Um, do you um. You, you've got a pretty, uh, you know, I, I, the listeners may not know, but but I know that you're, you know, you you run a martial arts academy in addition to your um, your inspirational youth program, but but you also teach martial arts as part of your inspirational youth. Is that not correct? Correct. Yeah. So um, so what's the role there? Like, how does that help kids? You know, with 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 jujitsu and judo and things like that. Yeah. So uh, just to give you a breakdown of inspirational youth, inspirational youth is an organization I set up in two thousand and thirteen. And we work with young people that are at risk of being excluded for whatever reason from, from school or they're just at risk in general from, from, from gang affiliation or domestic violence, whatever it could be, any issue that they have in their life. We help high support, risk, high risk, job, yeah. high risk. We help support them through mentoring and through workshops to be the, the best individuals they could be. And everything I've been discussing today is what we educate them, them with, with health, mm-hmm. with um, uh, the ability to read, to understand who they are as individuals and, and mindfulness and, and then we teach them martial arts and I think for me that, that martial arts is, is a great you know, starting point to build confidence and allow them to understand the importance of discipline and, and, and respect in everything they do and how they're portrayed and, and, and how they're perceived. So Yeah, so, so are, do you get to train yourself um, in role uh, every week, uh, you know, a couple times a week. For sure, of, you know, like yeah, 100%. I mean, the academy's open, it's got classes every single day, yeah. Um, so I do get to train and I still actively teach, yeah. And, and uh, I'm blessed to work with some great athletes in the sport, um, that I can get to, to get tips from as well and ask advice of and, and constantly developing not just myself but the academy. Constantly working with others that have their own academies to see how we can create the best environment for success. If you were going to leave uh, me uh, or or leave some of the good people who listen to this podcast with, you know, three takeaways or two takeaways, you know, um, that that you would say like to 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 get on their journey themselves, you know, to to do that so that they can answer that question: Who are you? What what would they be? I would say, number one, find a good support network. So make sure that you have someone that you can kind of talk to and that you can constantly relate to. And, um, you know, and off the back of that, look for strategies as well that you can implement. I mean, there's a great saying out there. If you want to be a great athlete, there's, there's three things you need to look at. You need to make sure that you have support. Mm-hmm. So that would be your mentors. You need to make sure that you have a strategy. So that would be the plan. Mm-hmm. And then you need to upskill yourself. So you need to make sure that you have the skills. Yeah. So it is, you know, and, and by saying that, I would say look for some, some mentors that start figuring out a strategy and then see how you can ups, upskill yourself so that you can be the best that you can be in what area of life um, you're working with. If you want to be a great parent, Start researching that so yeah. you can be a great parent. If you want to be a great athlete, start looking at your sport, taking it seriously, because it will just spill into every area of your life. Yeah, and I think I think that's that. It's it's it all comes back to those those synonyms like intentional, you know, mindful, thoughtful, commitment. You know, they're they're all synonyms of uh, or, or or certainly uh, have the same theme. You know, which is like you you make that decision to be something. And then, and then you're gonna you're gonna do those things, and then you're gonna have the that life that, that you that you are and that you have done. Um, well, thank you, Eamon. I'm gonna leave uh, my listeners here with um, I I like to do some readings, and um, there uh, there's a, a great short story um, by Jack London 
Uh, it's probably, you know, I've, I've read some different readings to folks, and I always say, this is my favorite. It, it is, they're all my favorites. You know, it's like children. But, um, but this one was called Which Make Men Remember. And, um, and it says, you know, uh, in, in the short story by Jack London, Which Make Men Remember. He glanced up meditatively, and fortune shook his head, inwardly chafing at the delay. Sometimes there are meetings under circumstances which make men remember, Yuri continued, speaking in a low voice and very slowly. And I met a man under such circumstances on the dead horse trail. And it goes on from there. And, and ladies and gentlemen of, of, the, of the podcast, um, you, you really want to read a great story. Um, it's a story within a story. It's fabulous. It's called Which Make Men Remember. And um, I quote that tonight because out of my own tragedy, you know, I kind of had these two tragedies, you could say, in a way, but really it all started in the same thing. And think about the similarities that we've talked about. We both lost someone who was an incredible man in our lives. You know, you mm -hmm. lost your father, who's just a superhero in your life, and I lost my best friend who was just a man among men. And, and, you know, they say he died of a heart attack, and I say no way, because the, a, a stronger, bigger heart never beat inside mm -hmm. a man's chest. And um, as it did in my friend, you know. And, and, but but, but it, it was, you know, you think about that, and, and out of that, I had such circumstances to have such a meeting with a man. That man was you. And, 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 and I, will, I will always remember that. So thank you for having um, the time and being with me and spending this week with me. I've been talking about it a lot on the podcast and, and telling everybody in my life how excited I was to have you here. We're going to do some great stuff tomorrow, um, and, uh, and that'll wrap up our show. Thank you so thank much. You. For, thank you so much for having me. All right. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and new happiness. We will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the words serenity, and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of, of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Tonight, God, thank you for all of the incredible blessings and serenity that I have in my life, and most thanks and gratitude for bringing Eamon Madden into my life five years, six years ago now, um, and then back into my life to help me to come to the grounds and to help me find the serenity sobriety and love that I have in a life second to none. Amen.